Chapter Thirty Six of Kate Bonnet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meg Turasek. Kate Bonnet by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter Thirty Six The Tide Decides. It was now September and the weather was beautiful on the North Carolina coast. Captain Thomas, late Bonnet, of the Royal James, late Revenge, had always enjoyed cool nights and invigorating morning air, and therefore it was that he said to his faithful servitor, Ben Greenway, when first he stepped out upon the deck of his vessel lay comfortably anchored in a little cove in the cape fear river that he did not remember ever having been in a more pleasant harbour this well-tried pirate captain steed bonnet as we shall call him notwithstanding his assumption of another name was in a genial mood as he drank in the morning air from his point of view he had a right to be genial he had a right to be pleased with the scenery and the air. He had a right to swear at the Scotchman, and to ask him why he did not put on a merrier visage on such a sparkling morning. For since he had first started out as Captain Thomas of the Royal James, he had been a most successful pirate. He had sailed up the Virginia coast. He had burned, he had sunk, he had robbed, he had slain, he had gone up the Delaware Bay, and the people in the ships and the people on the coasts trembled even when they heard that his black flag had been sighted. No man could now say that the former captain of the Revenge was not an accomplished and seasoned desperado. Even the great Blackbeard would not have cared to give him nicknames, nor dared to play his blithesome tricks upon him. He was now no more Captain Nightcap to any man. His crew of hairy ruffians had learned to understand that he knew what he wanted, and, more than that, he knew how to order it done. They listened to his great oaths, and they respected him. This powerful pirate now commanded a small fleet, for in the cove where he lay his flagship also lay two good-sized sloops, manned by their own crews, which he had captured in Delaware Bay and had brought down with him to this quiet spot, a few miles up the Cape Fear River, where he now was repairing his own ship, which had had a hard time of it since she had again come into his hands. For many a long day the sound of the hammer and the saw had mingled with the song of the birds, and Captain Bonnet felt that in a day or two he might again sail upon the sea, conveying his two prizes to some convenient mart, while he could, with his good ship, freshened and restored, would go in search of more victories, more booty, and more blood. "'Greenway, I tell you,' said Bonnet, continuing his remarks, "'you are too glum. You've got the only long face in all this, my fleet.' Even those poor fellows who man my prizes are not so solemn, although they know not, when I have done with them, 
whether I shall maroon them to quietly starve or shall sink them in their own vessels. But I had no such reason to be cheerful, said Ben. I had bound myself down by ye till ye had gone to the devil, and I had no chance of freeing myself from my responsibilities by perishing on land or in the sea. If anything could make me glum, Ben Greenway, it would be you, said the other. But I am getting used to you, and some of these days when I have captured a ship laden with Scotch liquors and Scotch plaids, I believe that you will turn pirate yourself for the sake of your share of the prizes. Which is likely to be on the same morning that you turn to be an honest man, said Ben, but I am not in the way of expecting miracles. On went the pounding and sawing, and the hammering and the swearing, and the singing of birds, although the latter were a little farther away than they had been, and in the course of the day the pirate captain, erect, scrutinizing, and blasphemous, went over his ship, superintending the repairs. In a day or two everything would be finished, and then he and his two prizes could upsail and away. It was a beautiful harbor in which he lay, but he was getting tired of it. There were great prospects before our pirate captain. Perhaps he might have the great good fortune to fall in with that low-born devil, Blackbeard, who, when last he had been heard from, commanded a small vessel, fearing no attack upon this coast. What a proud and glorious moment it would be when a broadside and another and another should be poured in upon his little craft from the long guns of the Royal James. Bonnet was still standing, reflecting, with bright eyes, upon his dazzling future, and wondering what would be the best way of letting the dastardly Blackbeard know whose guns they were which had sunk his ship, when a boat was seen coming around the headland. This was one of his own boats, which had been posted as a sentinel, and which now brought the news that two vessels were coming in at the mouth of the river, but that as the distance was great, and the night was coming on, they could not decide what manner of craft that they were. This information made everybody jump on board the Royal James, and the noise of the sawing and the hammering ceased as completely as had the songs of the birds. In a few minutes that quick and able mariner, Bonnet, had sent three armed boats down the river to reconnoitre. If the vessels entering the river were merchantmen, they should not be allowed to get away. But if they were enemies, although it was difficult to understand how enemies could make their appearance in these quiet waters, they must be attended to, either by fight or flight. When the three boats came back, and it was late before they appeared, every man upon the Royal James was crowded along her side to hear the news, and even the people on the prizes knew that something had happened, and stood upon every point of vantage, hoping that in some way they could find out what it was. The news brought by the boats was to the effect that two vessels, not sailing as merchantmen, and well-armed and manned, were now ashore on sandy bars, 
not very far above the mouth of the river. Now Bonnet swore bravely. If the work upon his vessels had been finished, he would up anchor and away and sail past these two grounded ships, whatever they were and whatever they came for. He would sail past them and take with him his two prizes. He would glide out to sea with the tide, and he would laugh at them as he left them behind. But the Royal James was not ready to sail. The night was now low, five hours afterward, when it should be high. Those two ships, whatever they were, would float again. And the Royal James, whatever her course of action should be, would be cut off from the mouth of the river. This was a greater risk than even a pirate as bold as Bonnet would wish to run. And so there was no sleep that night on the Royal James. The blows of the hammers and the sounds of the saws made a greater noise than they had ever done before, so that the night birds were frightened and flew shrieking away. Every man worked with all the energy that was in him, for each hairy rascal had reason to believe that if the vessel they were on did not get out of the river before the two-armed strangers should be afloat, there might be hard times ahead for them. Even Ben Greenway was aroused. The devil shall not get him any sooner than can be helped, he said to himself, and he hammered and sawed with the rest of them. On his stout and well-armed slooped the Henry, Mr. William Rett, of Charlestown, South Carolina, paced anxiously all night. Frequently from the sandbar on which his vessel was grounded, he called over to the other sloop, also fast grounded, giving orders and asking questions. On both vessels everybody was at work, getting ready for action when the tide should rise. Some weeks before the wails and complaints of a tortured sea-coast had come down from the Jersey shores to South Carolina, asking for help at the only place along the coast whence help could come, a pirate named Thomas was working his way southward, spreading terror before him and leaving misery behind. These appeals touched the hearts of the people of Charlestown already sore from the injuries and insults inflicted upon them by Blackbeard in those days, when Bonnet sat silently on the pirate ship, doing nothing and learning much. There was no hesitancy. For their own sake and for the sake of their commerce, this new pirate must not come to Charlestown Harbor. And an expedition of two vessels, heavily armed and well manned and commanded by Mr. William Rett, was sent northward up the coast to look for the pirate named Thomas, and to destroy him and his ship. Mr. Rett was not a military man, nor did he belong to the navy. He was a citizen capable of commanding soldiers, and as such he went forth to destroy the pirate Thomas. Mr. Rett met people along the coast who told him where he might find the pirate, but he found no one to tell him how to navigate the dangerous waters of the Cape Fear River. And so it was that soon after entering that fine stream, he and his consort found themselves aground. Mr. Rett was quite sure that he had discovered the lair of the big game he was looking for. 
just before dark three boats well filled with men had appeared from up the river and they had looked so formidable that everything had been made ready to resist an attack from them they retired but every now and then during the night when there was quiet for a few minutes there would come down the river on the wind the sound of distant hammering and the noise of saws it was after midnight before henry and the sea nymph floated free but they anchored where they were and waited for the morning whether they would sail up the river after the pirate or whether he would come down to them daylight would show mr rett's vessels had been at anchor for five hours and every man on board of them were watching and waiting when daylight appeared and showed them a tall ship under full sail rounding the distant headland up the river now up came their anchors and their sails were set the pirate was coming whatever the royal james intended to do mr rett had but one plan and that was to meet the enemy as soon as possible and fight him so up sailed the henry and up sailed the sea nymph and they pressed ahead so steadily to meet the royal james that the latter vessel in carrying out what was now her obvious intention of getting out to sea was forced shoreward where she speedily ran upon a bar then from the vessels of charlestown there came great shouts of triumph which ceased when first the henry and then the sea nymph ran upon other bars and remained stationary here was an unusual condition three ships of war all aground and about to begin a battle a battle which would probably last for five hours if one or more of the stationary vessels were not destroyed before that time it was soon found however that there would only be two parties to the fight for the sea nymph was too far away to use her guns the royal james had an advantage over her opponents since when she slightly careened her decks were slanted away from the enemy while the ladders were presented to her fire at it they went hot and heavy bonnet and his men now knew that they were engaged with commissioned war vessels and they fought for their lives mr rett knew that he was fighting thomas the dreaded pirate of the coast and he felt that he must destroy him before his vessel should float again the cannon roared the muskets blazed away and the combatants were near enough even to use pistols upon each other men died blood flowed and the fight grew fiercer and fiercer bonnet roared like an incarnate devil he swore at his men he swore at the enemy he swore at his bad fortune for had he not missed the channel the game would have been in his own hands so on they fought and the tide kept steadily rising the five hours must pass at last and the vessel which first floated would win the day the five hours did pass and the henry floated and bonnet swore louder and more fiercely than before he roared to his men to fire and to fight 
no matter whether they were still aground or not, and with many oaths he vowed that if any one of them showed but a sign of weakening, he would cut him down upon the spot. But the hairy scoundrels who made up the crew of the Royal James had no idea of lying there with their ship on its side, while two other ships, for the sea-nymph was now afloat, should sail around them, rake their decks, and shatter them to pieces. So the crew consulted together, despite their captain's roars and oaths, and many of them counseled surrender. Their vessel was much farther inshore than the two others, and no matter what happened afterward, they preferred to live longer than fifteen or twenty minutes. But Bonnet quailed not before fate, before the enemy, or before his crew. If he heard another word of surrender, he would fire the magazine and blow the ship to the sky with every man in it. Raising his cutlass in air, he was about to bring it down upon one of the cowards he berated, when suddenly he was seized by two powerful hands, which pinned his arms behind him. With a scream of rage, he turned his head and found that he was in the grasp of Ben Greenway. "'Let go your sword, Master Bonnet,' said Ben. "'It is of no use to you now.' "'for ye canna get away from me. "'I'm nay older than ye are, though I look it, "'and I've got the harder muscles. "'Ye may be making your way steadily and surely to the gates of hell, "'and it may not be possible that I can prevent ye. "'But I'm not going to let ye tumble in by accident "'so long as I've got two arms left to me. "'Pale,' haggard and writhing, Steed Bonnet was disarmed, and the Jolly Roger came down. End of chapter 36 Recording by Meg Turasek